week, uh, that it's wonderful that, that these descriptions of what a Christian should be begins with, uh, these are people who know that they can't make it. The poor in spirit, those who know that they are spiritually bankrupt, God says straight off, I approve of it when you know that you cannot do this without me. Pleasing God um, in these Beatitudes is shown to be the deepest ambition of the Christian uh, life. Jesus is describing a life that looks like Jesus as he lives in us. And, and God's pleasure, God's blessing, God's smiling down on his people is seen in his, well, in, in what he does for them. And I want to suggest that what God does is give what they desire. So for those last week who desire to, um, to have the riches of God, God says, you know what, you are poor, but I'm going to give you my kingdom. And we see today that, that for those who mourn, God says, well, you desire not to mourn, I'm going to comfort you. Next week, uh, God blesses those who are humble. He says, you know what, you desire humility. I am going to give you the whole earth. The week after that, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. He says, you hunger for that, you will be satisfied. Those who are merciful, God says, I will give you the mercy that you so long to give to others. And, and so it continues. Last week, uh, the very first beatitude is, uh, in, in some ways, an intellectual head knowledge attitude. It's the, I cannot make it without God. I, I, I can't reach the levels of where God is. I, I, I don't, I'm not perfect, I'm not pure, I'm not holy, I, I'm just not that. And it's wonderful that last week God said, yes, well, I am and I'm going to give you your, my kingdom. It's going to be your kingdom. But if the first beatitude is about the intellectual knowing that we are not good enough for God, the second beatitude, uh, blessed are those who mourn, God approves of those who mourn, is the emotional counterpart of that. You know, it's one thing to know, um, yes, I am not worthy. It's another thing to feel that. And so today's passage is about emotions and about feeling, which I don't know, but... For some of us, possibly more the men than the, than the women, this is maybe the slightly more difficult one. God's pleasure is seen in his giving comfort to the mourners. And his kingdom to the poor. And they are the same people. God gives comfort to those who mourn. And as we're going to see after our song, he does that primarily by saying, I forgive you. Your guilt is taken away. This is what David, writing here, was longing for. He was saying, God, I know that I'm guilty. Would you take it away? Night and day, says David in another psalm, I cried out to you. And then I confessed my sins and you forgave me. <coughs> And David says, this is the most wonderful thing in the world. And today, before we continue with this sermon, um, I want us to just start with the knowledge that God comforts those who mourn, who realize that they are not good enough for him, both in their head and in their heart. And today we're going to be taking communion. 
And communion today, what I want us to be remembering is, is the fact that God comforts the mourners. As we take the cup, as we take the bread, uh, I want us to realize that we are not worthy of God. We said last week that these Beatitudes are difficult sermons to preach because there's not so much a you should do this, you should do this as a confess what you are. Today, may we confess that we are not worthy of God. May we celebrate the fact that he says, I know and I love it and I'm giving you the kingdom. And may we also celebrate the fact that he says, I see that you long to be like me. And I've made it possible. Paul says, writing to the Corinthians about this passage, uh, about this practice in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it in pieces and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. And this is the bit I want us to remember now. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And that last phrase, until he comes again, is the comfort of God. He has died, he has taken away our guilt, and he is coming again. There's nothing magical in communion, but what we are doing is taking this cup and saying, Lord, I am not worthy. Thank you that you made me worthy.
feel. And you think that you are not good enough for God. I invite you to take your bread, take your grape juice, and say, I know it, Lord. And hear him say, I know that. Now we can begin. Let's pray in song. <coughs> For the most part, there are distractions to stop us mourning. So that we don't have to delve into those deep, uncomfortable emotions. <coughs> and yet God says here that those who mourn are blessed by Him. Jesus says that those who mourn find the approval of God. Jesus does not mean, let me hasten to say, that Christians are to be perpetually morose and weepy. I like that. Um, Robert Louis Stevenson, he wrote Treasure Island, I think. He uh, once wrote, ironically, I think in his diary, I have been to church today and I am not depressed. (laughs) Spurgeon spoke about uh, knowing some preachers who seem to have their neckties twisted around their souls. Because they were brothers and sisters. (laughs) Do you know what? That's fine every now and again, but not all the time. This is not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying go around with a long face pretending to be a horse. Uh, The Bible certainly doesn't say that that mourning is better than joy and laughter. In fact, it says the exact opposite in Proverbs 17 verse 22, where it says a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. And so in one part of the Bible, God is saying to us through the wisdom of of the Proverbs, that that a broken spirit saps your strength. And yet Jesus turns around and says, yes, but God loves it when your strength is sapped. Well, he doesn't quite say that. He says God loves it when you mourn. And he doesn't even quite say that. He says God approves of it when you are mourning. Jesus is also not saying that Christians uh, and that the Christian life should be all about joy and laughter. Have you ever met those Christians who just everything is perfect and there's not a dark cloud in the sky? And you know, you know what? If you're a true Christian, sorry, there's no Americans in the room, are there? If you're a true Christian, you're never going to smile. Well, you're never going to frown. You're never going to feel upside down. Life is good. You've got the joy of the Lord. I don't know what they do when they come to a passage like this where it actually says, well, God actually likes it when you mourn. God approves of it when you are mourning. How many Christians put on fake smiles? Maybe for the sake of each other. Because you know what? You've all got it together and I don't this morning. And and so, well, you know, I'm just going to pretend. Am I the only one that ever does that? Be honest. Close your eyes and put your... (laughs) Don't we all do that? 
There's this unspoken rule in the church that, that Christians have it all together, that we never mourn, that we never grieve, except, you know, we'll give you an excuse if you've been to a funeral or something like that has happened. But otherwise, you know what, you get your act together because Christians are joyful people. And there's nothing worse than pretending to be joyful when you're not. Am I saying that Christians are to enjoy mourning? Thank you for shaking your head, friend. Uh, nobody's meant to enjoy mourning. It's about feeling loss. It's, it's the, those dark emotions. It's, it's the loss of, of anything that we, that we invest ourselves in, almost that we take value from. If a loved one dies... It hits home to us because, because we have invested in them and, and we, we're going to miss the input that they have in our lives. If we lose our job, it's because well, it gave us something to do and, and it, it gave us purpose for many people. Homes, health, all of these things that we can mourn over. But I suspect that Jesus is going deeper than that to to the root cause of all of the trouble and all of the brokenness and all of the all of the mourning in the world finds its its root in a deeper cause which is I, I suspect the loss of relationship with God. Separation from God. This is the first beatitude. Uh, blessed are those or God approves of those who are spiritually bankrupt. Who cannot reach God in their own strength. And the second beatitude comes and says, you know what? God approves of those who mourn that. And mourning is not just, yeah, I feel bad about it. Mourning is, I am broken by the fact that, that there is this gulf between God and I. Some of you might be looking at me going, okay, so he's speaking of non-Christians, Christians, what? How, you know what? This is the horrible thing about sin. Sin, yes, sin came into the world and introduced a brokenness. And we used an illustration a while back of if you punch a hole in a pane of glass, it, it, it's like a spreading out of cracks all the way through, distorting it. And sin has done that. And, and because of that, there are all sorts of things to mourn. We, we mourn the loss of loved ones because, because sin has introduced death into our world and into humanity. We we mourn the loss of purpose because we have lost sight of our true purpose. We mourn loss of health because, well, because we're sinners and we live in a broken world where there is sickness and sorrow. <clears throat> Jesus says, God blesses those who look at their world and who look at themselves and they say, I wish... Deep down, that I was more like God. And you know what? Yes, in Christ we are with Him, and in Christ our sins have been set as far from us as the east is from the west. And it's incredible. And yet there's also the truth that, that as we sin, sin is something that God cannot bear to look at. And Jesus says, God approves of those who are broken by that. Um, Anybody here have a, a chipped plate at home? I'm very good at chipping plates. Now, I don't mind eating off a chipped plate. 
But if I had a, an important person coming around, I wouldn't want to serve them dinner on a chipped plate. Can you imagine how it would be if I, a Prime Minister visited, as he's wont to do, and I gave him this plate that's cracked from side to side, chips all over, and it didn't faze me. The Prime Minister would go, you know what, what is wrong with you, mate? I might be poor, but he'd go, do you not realize who I am? Now, what if the Prime Minister came to me, I'm still dirt poor, I've only got the one chipped plate. And I put it in front of him, and I'm just, I'm so sorry, it's the only plate I've got. And, and, and look, I'm, I wish I had, and he'd look at me and go, you know what? I hope if he's a good Prime Minister, he'd look and go, wow, mate. You're giving me the best you've got. And you're broken that it's not better. I think God looks at us and says, you know what, either you, you present your broken, messed up life to me and go, yeah, it's not too bad, is it? And he says, I don't. You want me to approve of that? No, Jesus says when we give God our lives and we look at it and we go, God, this is messed up. And I wish it was and I wish I could give you porcelain china. God says, you know what? I love the fact that you want to do the best for me. I love the fact that you're broken like your plate. You know, every day in big and small ways, we fail to be perfect the way that God is. We fail in how we think. We fail in how we speak. We fail in what we do. We are, I'm assuming this is you. Because it, it describes me. Um, Actually, could you all put your hands up? Um, keep your hand up if I don't mention something that you struggle with. You struggle with me saying lists. <laughs> Selfishness. Oh, no. Short temperedness. I've been told that I have to put my hand in. How about this one? <laughs> Pride, <laughs> envy, adultery, not just of act, but also of the mind and the heart, gossiping, slandering. You know, all these, all these little things that, that are not big deals, but, but all these ways that we live every day, big ways and small ways that, that God doesn't smile down on. That God looks at it and says, that's not what I meant for you to be. God's perfect and he, he cannot stand sin and there's, sin creates a barrier between, between us and God. You know what Isaiah said when he confronted God in Isaiah chapter 6, I believe, 6 verse 5. Um, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen God. Woe is me. Uh, a gentleman called Wilkerson said that to mourn is to face the truth about ourselves and the world. We're a messed up people living on a messed up world. Christians are those who are broken hearted and broken over being unworthy of God. Andy Stanley, the American preacher, says that there is a difference between uh, making a mistake and sin. I suspect that God approves of us mourning not over our mistakes, but also over our sin. Uh, a mistake is when we do something uh, 
contrary to God's wishes, almost without realizing it, without thinking. Sin is deeper. Sin is a character flaw in us that drives an inclination to do what God doesn't like. And I, I think it's right to mourn our mistakes, but, but I believe what Jesus is getting at here is that God approves of it when we mourn the fact that we by nature are prone to wonder, Lord, prone to leave the God I love. To mourn is to come with Paul in Romans chapter 7 verse 24 where he says, What a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this life of sin and death? Are we uplifted? Are we joyful this morning? Are we mourning just a little bit? It is mourning. Oh, Debbie, Debbie, Debbie. It is morning. (laughs) I I hope we are not feeling too comfortable. Because this is meant to to get us to think about who we are. There's a a horrible story of uh, in in a book by Adrian Plass where he tells of this guest speaker who comes and puts a chair out puts it in front of the congregation and says, imagine Jesus, imagine. Now imagine that he was looking at you and all of your sin and your disgustingness and your horribleness. And, and this, the character who's attending this meeting is just morose for the next week because he's been so, oh, Jesus must hate me. Look at how horrible I am. I hope you're feeling a little bit like that. Not that Jesus must hate you, but but the fact that you're horrible. There's a more sorry bunch of so-and-sos I've never seen (laughs) since looking in the mirror this morning. Let's move on. So we mourn over ourselves, but what about Jesus? Jesus never mourned over any personal sin. He alone lived a life that pleased God in every respect. But but Jesus is, according to Isaiah 53.3, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Um, he mourned. In fact, we've got, uh, I think, two occasions where Jesus wept. The first one at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He was so grieved that the crowd noticed and said, wow, he, he loved him. Um, and Jesus mourned at the tomb of Lazarus. He wept, he cried, even though he knew that in just a few minutes he would raise Lazarus to life again. I think Jesus wept because he knew that human death is the horrible outcome of a sinful, broken world. Then in Luke chapter 19, Palm Sunday, Jesus entering triumphantly into Jerusalem. And what does he do? He weeps. Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 44. He weeps over the city that is so rebellious that That they will not turn and be saved. And he weeps over what is coming against that city. Jesus mourned, I believe, because he knew that God has so much more in mind for us and for his world. Psalm 119 verse 136 um, says that uh, streams of tears flow from my eyes for your law is not obeyed. 
And we're not talking law as in strict legalism. We're talking law, I think, perhaps as an expression of what God desires for us. God approves of his children mourning over their own fallenness and the fallenness and the brokenness of our world. God approves of his children mourning because it grieves them to see God, our God, being dishonored. God approves of his children weeping with God, weeping with Jesus, when people reject God and and go live life as if they are in charge. Paul says in Philippians 3.18, I say it again, with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. This is... Paul's quotes are harder because he's actually speaking of people in the church. 2 Corinthians 12, 21. Paul says that he's so afraid that he's going to arrive at Corinth and find that he's going to be grieved by the fact that so many of them have not given up their old sins. That it doesn't bother them to serve God a cracked china plate. He's not saying go and buy new crockery. Because you can't. That, that's the first beatitude. You can't. You're, you're broke. But he's saying, does it bug you at all? Why would God approve of our morning? Come on, Nicholas. Is, I had a good morning plan. It's sunny outside. The heaters are on. It's a nice day. And now you come and you bring me this stuff. Why would God approve of my morning? For goodness sake, I must just snap out of it when I mourn and get on with life. I want to suggest to us that, that mourning, although it's not popular, is essential for spiritual health. You see, our, our trust is seen both in what we laugh about and what we cry about. True Christians, let me go out on a limb here, true Christians are not blasé about their sin and the state of the world. Jesus says they mourn. And God approves of that. And I think God approves of that because... Well, let me open it up. Does anyone here have, have an idea? Why would God approve of our mourning? I think God wants us to look at sin the same way as He looks at sin. And yeah. His Son had to die for us. That's true. Exactly. And we've remembered that at communion. <clears throat> anyone else? Sorry, for those who are visiting... I like to throw things open every now and again. I don't feel you have to say anything. I think there are times... To be happy where you are, sorry. To be happy where you are, you don't want. Therefore, you don't need something else. So, if you're happy where you are, you don't live like you don't need God. Yeah, I think there are times when you look around and you see desperation in people. Mm. And you just think, if only they knew God. Yeah. And then you realise that it's me that can change their lives. Yeah. By putting God to them. Yeah. Which is huge. Mm. Thank you so much. I love this because I hadn't written any of that stuff down. The one I wrote down is that I think God approves of us mourning because it's a sign of his spirit at work in us. 
a sign that there is a spiritual war going on within us. Even a war that is already won in Christ, but, but the battle still rages. Uh, the Spirit makes us mourn when we think or speak or do things or see things that are contrary to God's plans and purposes. Godly sorrow turns the soul towards God. And God is always there to comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 uh, compares the worldly sorrow, which is just, you know, I'm feeling sad, to godly sorrow, which results in repentance. The paradox is that God's approval of mourners is seen in his comforting them. God so approves of those who mourn that he comforts them. And the basis of that comfort is forgiveness. That's why we did communion. Because this, well, also because it's the first week of the month. But, but we do communion because this is God saying, all those who mourn, I give comfort. God's comfort is relational. God comforts us by coming to us and saying, and I read this in, in my devotions this week, Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, up there who we cannot reach. He says this, Isaiah 57, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and I revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. You know, God, God comforts us by coming to us. His spirit works in us, changing us so that we, we see ourselves and we see the world the way God sees the world. And unfortunately, there's a lot of ugliness in this world and there's a lot of ugliness in us. And then God comes and he comforts us. The same spirit who makes us aware of what we need to mourn comes in and says, I am with you. I will revive your broken hearts. And even I will come and I will start doing some repairs. As Mark said, I'm going to use you as an instrument to do some repairs. Do you know what? I'm going to even start doing some repairs. In Christ, you are perfect. Let's start tweaking things now, even before I give you your resurrection bodies and a new heart and all of that, because I'm going to make you, and, and slowly I'm going to work on you, and, and sin is going to loose some of its grip holds on your life, and, and it doesn't happen instantaneously. Anyone who tells you it happens instantaneously has been incredibly blessed by God. It happens now and again. Most often it's a slow progress. Renovations. How long have you guys been renovating now? <clears throat> Don't ask. I've been renovating my heart. Well, God's been renovating my heart for about 31, 32, 33 years now. Your renovations are, are young things still. I suspect your personal renovation is going a bit longer though. The arrival of God's kingdom in Jesus was the very first fruit of the comfort. That he brings. If you read your bulletin uh, in preparation for today, or if you got it this morning, you'll see that I speak there about Jesus when he when he got up in his childhood <clears throat> synagogue of Capernaum, and he took up the scroll of Isaiah chapter sixty-one, 
<coughs> excuse me, and he read. Let's let's uh, quickly read that uh, for us over here. I'm going to read it. Uh, oh, Luke is close. I'll read it from Luke chapter four. Jesus stood up and he read this: "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me." To bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. That the blind will see. That the oppressed will be set free. That the time of the Lord's favor has come. Isn't that incredible? And he goes on in verse 3. And he, and he speaks even more explicitly, Isaiah. Of God comforting those who mourn. You see, the gospel... Starts with heartbreak. And the Spirit takes us back there. Intermittently. But it doesn't stop there. Brothers and sisters. It doesn't stop there. God doesn't approve of those who mourn and go. Oh I like that. God says I approve of that. And I will do something about it. Sin can be forgiven. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. There's a life beyond the grave. How often do we not mourn death, the entry of death into humanity, a result of sin? And we mourn that, and rightly so, and Jesus mourned that we saw, but but ultimately Jesus came and said, Well, sin has no longer got authority over you, and, and so death is undone. And the gospel certainly doesn't leave us even there. It takes us further and says that one day Jesus is coming back. And he is taking this broken, messed up world and he's going to make it new. And he's taking us, broken, messed up people. He's done all the renovations, sort of. Uh, we've got a blind in our bathroom, which needs putting up. At the moment, um, the neighbors see right into our bathroom. Um, and we're busy measuring and looking it all up. And I was looking online and you can actually get paper blinds. It's like $10 a blind, and it's a temporary thing, and you put it there, and it's wonderful. Great idea. It'll, it'll kind of, it looks a lot better, but it's not the real thing. You know what? Jesus is working on us. Uh, he's, or changed the thing, doing a lot of renovation recently. You paint, you put the first coat on, it still looks a mess. We need lots of coats of paint. In fact, one day Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to break the wall down. I'm going to rebuild it with those bricks, and I'm going to make it beautiful. Isn't that going to be amazing? And there will be no more tears. Revelation 21. There will be no more crying. There will be no more mourning. We will be like Jesus. God himself will wipe away the last tear from your eye. And the old order of things will be done away with. And until then we can, we can stand firm. Because as Paul says in Romans 8. That fantastic passage. What can separate us from the love of God? Yes, although we mourn. That, that cannot separate us from the love of God. No. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God. My brothers and sisters, I'm not challenging you this morning to go and mourn. Jesus is describing God's people. And everybody mourns. Uh, usually when the brokenness of this world forces us to mourn. But I think what Jesus has been saying here is that his people are sensitive to the fallen state of ourselves in this world. So I'm not asking you to go and 
force yourself to think about how horrible you are. There's a story over here. This guy said, Jesus is on the chair. This, this young lad was so horrible week. And then he found out that this guest speaker he'd gone to on a Friday event was coming to his church. And they were sitting there and the same speaker did put the chair. Imagine God is there and he's looking at you and he's horrible and he's la 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 la. And the protagonist of the story um, looks and he says, you know what? I tried really, really hard. I tried so hard to think how horrible I was, but all I could think of, it's Jesus there and it's so exciting and he loves me. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? You know what? Mourn. But don't stay there because it's Jesus there. And he loves you. And he says, I'm going to comfort you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that brilliant stuff? You know what? I think it's perhaps not wrong to ask us to make, to, to, to ask God to make us value him and his will and his purposes above all else. God is, uh, is the God who approves of those who are unsatisfied with being unholy, unsatisfied with a broken world. And his approval is by way of, of coming to us and saying, you know what? I'm with you. Uh, you're right. You're a mess. This world's a mess, but I'm with you. And one day I'm going to give you a brand new heart. One day I'm going to remake this broken world. I'm with you. Shall we make a start? Amen. Amen. One day he will return and everything will be fantastic and we live because of that day now. We belong to the day that is to come. We belong to the day when Jesus returns. Let's stand and let's, let's celebrate. <coughs> you know what? After a sermon like that where you might be going, oh, why did he have to have a sermon like that? Let's celebrate because we're not going to stay in the morning. We're going to celebrate his return. Let's stand and sing.